0: Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm David Rimmel, the host of Locked On Heat, and joining me from within the Orlando bubble is Washington Post's Ben Golliver. How are you doing, Ben, first and foremost? I'm
1: doing great, man. It's great to chat with you. I'm sure I'm catching you at a, a nice time here after the, uh, the the Heat took care of the Pacers uh, quite handily in the first of what could be many uh, many matchups, but otherwise doing very well.
0: Yeah, it's been a good night for me and uh, it gets even better because I get a chance to talk to you about the NBA bubble and everything that's going on. But I you know, I look at the games taking place and uh, of course all the teams that are finding a way to win there and nobody has been more surprising I think within the Orlando bubble than the Phoenix Suns with a blowout win over the Thunder on Monday. The Suns have improved to 6-0 and in Orlando, and while they'll be playing a back-to-back set with a game on Tuesday, they'll be facing the Philadelphia 76ers without Ben Simmons, who is, of course, out for the season, as well as Joel Embiid, who is expected to miss the game with a left ankle injury. Phoenix, Ben, what, what do we make of them? How is it that they've been able to play this well, and are you a believer in their chances at, at contending for the eighth seed in the Western Conference?
1: I mean, it's completely insane that they could come out here, go 8-0, and which is very realistic for them, and still not necessarily control their own destiny, but that was the kind of hill they had coming in. Um, look, they have looked unlike any Suns team we've seen in the last five or six years. I think that their six-game winning streak is like the first time they've done that in more than five years. Um, clearly, it's a high-water mark for the Devin Booker era from a winning standpoint. Uh, you know, he's definitely given some quotes about how, you know, his patience has been rewarded here, and I think it, it's nice to see for – uh, for him, uh, you know, it, to me, the the standout quality has been the scoring balance. You know, I mean, obviously Booker's getting his, and he's putting up huge numbers, um, you know, on a regular basis. But the other night against, uh, I think it was Indiana, they had seven guys in double figures. They're getting contributions from their bench. They're actually looking like a team that makes each other better. And it's been a long, long time since the Phoenix Suns haven't been a collection of individuals. So I know they're having fun. Just having talked to some of the the sports radio people down there in Arizona. They're already ready to predict, you know, a first round upset of the Lakers like they're, you know, it's kind of like over the moon about the unexpected progress here. And I think you're right. They've got to go down as the biggest story of this, uh, you know, the biggest positive story anyway of the first two weeks of the bubble.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And I think we we can all agree that Nick Nurse has done a phenomenal job and of course Billy Donovan in Oklahoma City but I think Monty Williams is probably a candidate for Coach of the Year that doesn't get talked enough about. And maybe it's just because Phoenix really hasn't accomplished anything. And as you said earlier, they might eventually get eliminated anyway, even if they wind up winning all eight games in the restart. But He's gotten everybody engaged. You talked about the distribution on offense. They're playing defense at a pretty intense level, too. I mean, they've gotten some really standout performances from DeAndre Ayton, who's really seemed to be progressing the way everybody expected a number one pick in the draft to go. But they've gotten key contributions from their bench, from Frank Kaminsky to Javon Carter to Ricky Rubio and everybody else. That's, I think, pretty surprising. And uh, McCall Bridges is, is doing a phenomenal job garnering some support for a potential defensive of the, of the uh, player of the year candidacy, although, of course, he didn't quite make the cut. But either way, they've got a really well-rounded effort there. And I, I mean, they're fun team. Look, they Miami lost a pretty close game there before Booker uh, finally exploded in the fourth and, and got a really consistent scoring output from him. Uh, Aiton was solid. They've got a really, really good team, and and they're making some noise there. I mean, I know Oklahoma City was without five key players on Monday, so maybe that was not exactly facing the tough competition that you expect them to. But either way, they they, they look like they're competitive, they're playing well, and Williams has them engaged and focused on, on, you know, controlling what they can control. As cliche as that sounds, it's actually working for them.
1: For sure. And then not taking any letdown games when you're playing these teams that don't have their star players. I mean, that's half the battle. You saw Portland almost drop a must-win game the other night against that Philadelphia team that you're talking about who didn't have Joel Embiid. Um, and it didn't have Ben Simmons. I mean, if you're in this kind of a playoff chase trying to sneak into that 8-9 matchup, you have to take care of teams. You can't be put out by Josh Richardson. You know, that's just not acceptable, which almost happened for Portland. So, you know, definitely uh, kudos and credit to the Suns for maintaining their focus and and building. Coming into the uh, bubble restart, to me, I thought it was going to be a successful run for them if they got any sort of demonstrable progress from a guy like DeAndre Ayton. I mean, he's just that important to where they're going as a franchise. You know what you've got in Booker. He's a pretty proven commodity. He's made progress here over the last couple of years. But, you know, if Aiden winds up being the guy he was in December when he first came back from the drug suspension, I mean, that's a terrible pick, right? I mean, that's a situation where you're just, you know, living in Luca's shadow as a franchise for the next five to seven years. And Phoenix has been so promising down here that Luca looks like a top five guy in the league right now, putting on an incredible show against the Milwaukee Bucks over the weekend. And Phoenix hasn't even had to worry about that type of second-guessing because they played so well. You you can just leave those kinds of, uh, you know, chest pains and heartaches for the Sacramento Kings, who they're going home already. And, uh, you know, it's just inexplicable that they didn't take Luke at number two. But I think for Phoenix, they're seeing progress from the most important guy. That would be Aiden. What a side story, by the way, him missing a test, uh, his coronavirus test, and then getting cleared to basically come off the bench at the last minute Uh, you know, for their game on Monday. I mean, just very weird and surreal uh, situation down here um, in the bubble. But he was able to pull it together, uh, and they kept the momentum going.
0: Just for clarification's sake, what is that like? Uh, How does news travel within the confines of the bubble? Do you you hear about Aiton missing the test from the team himself, or are you able to, like, kind of get a buzz from other media members while they're sitting in the stands and you're covering games?
1: Yeah, so I wasn't actually at that specific game, but I'll right. tell you that in general, that the Twitter is still the dominant form of uh, <laughs> of communication. Remember that you know we're physically separated from uh, the players, you know, hotels or dormitories, whatever you want to call it. So right. it's not like we're able to kind of like walk around the hotel and listen to their scuttlebutt. So pretty much everybody's still texting. You know, sources are still texting. Uh, you know, it's funny even some of the interviews that you'll do for people for stories who are here in the bubble you know, in some cases, they'll actually want those to be done by Zoom rather than in person just to limit contact. So, um, you know, there's a lot of rules and regulations, but I'll say, you know, the the Twitter is still, uh, you know, pretty easily that that leading source of uh, information on that one. But the teams have been trying to really over communicate as well. You're noticing an, uh, an increase in injury updates, status updates, yes. and then, uh, you know, just practice time updates and all that. I mean, we're just getting bombarded with uh, with text messages and uh, press releases down here. So it could come in many different ways, but, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to beat Twitter.
0: Have you found it really beneficial to be within the heart of that as far as being able to cover teams and find out as much information and get unprecedented levels of access?
1: Absolutely, yeah. No, I'm loving it down here. I, w- I think I would have had really bad FOMO if I wasn't in the bubble. Sure. You know, Steph – Steph Curry made that uh, comment to the New York Times, actually, and I was like, yeah, I can relate to that. You know, you're watching everybody have this huge tournament and you're not there. I think the biggest uh, benefit for the access is just, you know, watching things unfold in real time. The best example of that is this Damian Lillard versus the Clippers thing. You know, I was sitting there courtside watching Patrick Beverly act a fool, and I was just live tweeting what he was doing during those free throws when Lillard missed the two-punch free throws on Saturday night. And by the time we got back to the postgame, uh, you know, interviews, not 10 or 15 minutes later, the word had already gotten to Damian Lillard about exactly what Beverly had done. I think he had seen a clip of it maybe as well. And so his post game winds up being a very charged situation where he's clearly, you know, quite upset um, and really going off about it. And that winds up traveling back to the Clippers who, you know, take the whole thing to Instagram. So that winds up being kind of like a 12-hour news cycle. Um, you know, they're back and forth. And, and Lillard winds up extending that the very next night. Uh, With, you know, his 51 points uh, against Philly and and trying to kind of answer some of those questions on the court. And I just don't think that you would have had the same, uh, you know, level of connection to the way that story unfolded if you weren't down here.
0: Now, I, you know, taking it back to the Suns real quickly before we wrap up here, what do you make of Draymond Green's comments about Devin Booker? I, I feel like a lot of Suns fans particularly are complaining about just trying to purloin, uh, you know, Devin Booker from the team. And obviously they haven't had much success over the last few years. Do you consider it tampering? Do you, do you just dismiss the comments altogether? What's your take on the whole situation?
1: Oh, look, if they want to tamper with you, you must be doing something right. That's good. I mean, number one, that's a sign of respect for my Draymond Green, right? But sure. look, I made a similar comment to Draymond. Thankfully, I don't get fined because I don't have 50K to put up for, uh, for the same comments. But, you know, I, going back to six weeks, I said, look, if Devin Booker goes down there and his team doesn't show success, I mean, he's going to be like the number one target for all these teams who are trying to put together super teams down the road. I mean, you just think about... If he's, you know, your number two or three guy and you've already got an established level of superstars, you know, how does that transform your organization? And um, you can see a lot of, you know, the top contenders being in a much better spot over the next five years just based on his age, his talent level, his scoring ability. And, you know, also his box office draw. I mean, there's no question if you put him in a major market, this guy's basically as marketable as it gets. You know, I mean, you can see him having his own sneaker deal. You can see him with the Kardashians like he already is, the Jenners anyway. Um, I mean, all of it would just go to a totally different level. And, you know, it's not, uh, you know, it's not the Suns organization's fault necessarily um, that uh, they've probably held him back a little bit to a degree to this point, but they really haven't boosted his star power all that much during his first five years. It's been a really, really long slog. So, I mean, those kinds of, you know, speculation, that's just natural. I think it's something that uh, a lot of basketball observers would think too. Um, And, you know, ultimately that puts a little bit of pressure on the Suns ownership to step up spend the money in the right way, you know, find a, you know, smart and a, you know well-balanced offense, you know, to build around Booker and then keep this thing going. Um, they're going to have some choices here on free agents, you know, coming up in the next couple of years. And uh, there shouldn't be any excuses. You know, you've got a centerpiece player there. Now you got to build around them.
0: Well, if you need support and Devin Booker pretty much needs some in Phoenix, let me talk to you about cbdmd.com. It doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete like Devin Booker or a stay-at-home parent. If you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable chair or whatever you might be doing, everyone needs support to make it through our day. Luckily, our friends at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets chaotic. Take CBD Freeze with Menthol. It's an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze tube. Or CBD Recover. Combine CBD with anti-inflammatory compounds like Arnica and Vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. And to make it even easier to try this amazing duo of topicals and everything else that CBD MD has to offer, they're offering all of our listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that's cbdmd.com, promo code NBA, for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oil products from cbdmd.com. We'll talk a little bit about some of the teams that have been eliminated in the bubble, but here's a rundown of today's scores. Obviously, the Phoenix Suns have been able to continue winning. Today, a 128-101 victory over the Oklahoma City Thunder. They got 35 points from Devin Booker and 22 points from Darius Bazley. Also, the Dallas Mavericks were able to eliminate the Utah Jazz, 122-114. The Toronto Raptors with a big win over the Milwaukee Bucks, playing without Giannis Antetokounmpo 114-106. to That game was delayed by... I guess, a leak in the roof. You were there at the game, so I'm curious to get your overall take on what happened there. But Miami Heat, in a big matchup between Jimmy Butler and TJ Warren, that game went to Miami, a 114 victory to 92 for Indiana. And then the Denver Nuggets and the Los Angeles Lakers are still played. That's tied at the end of three quarters. How did that Bucks-Raptors game feel, again, without Giannis, uh, you, I know you were covering and then you kind of got disappointed with the whole uh, process there and were able to recharge back from your hotel room. But uh, w- what was your sense about that Raptors game? Are you a believer in Toronto? Because I know we talked about it last week, but I can't remember exactly what your take on that was.
1: Yeah, no, I think that both those teams are really good. You know, just the whole thing right now when you're trying to build the momentum in the bubble and, and get the TV audience back and everything else and then having these superstar level guys sit it just sucks the energy out of the room and then out of the television broadcast, too. You know, I mean, that, that Raptors-Milwaukee uh, game, it all comes down to, like, the crazy Raptors team defense, their length and their scheme. Yeah. How do they slow down Giannis? That's, like, the entire juicy part of the, that game, right? Giannis doesn't play. They get wiped off the court. You're starting to see quotes from Kyle Corver saying, hey, look, this is kind of like a crossroads moment. We've got to step up and pull ourselves together here. Um, that is not what, you know, a typical Milwaukee showing would look like if Giannis is out there. So, um, you know, the, the, leak thing was a little bit of much ado about nothing. Um, I did respect the fact that they were being so diligent because there are crazy thunderstorms here and they, they really went off a couple hours later. And so if you did have some sort of a leak that you couldn't, uh, take care of in that uh, gym, I mean, that could have been a real issue for, for players. So, and they were all over it. You know, I'm getting so old, David, I've seen worse leaks in NBA buildings, you know, in person. So this <laughs> this didn't really rise up the, the level that high. I mean, maybe call like a, you know, 1.5 on the Richter scale or something. I mean, this was not a, uh, you know, not an earth-shaking situation. Yeah, it's amazing
0: how many people have that misperception about uh, Miami, South Florida, and even Florida in general. I mean, it rains. It rains a ton here in Florida, in Orlando, and I can attest to that. I've covered games there. Having to walk to the arena, it's brutal. Uh, And even there within the ESPN uh, wide world of sports, it's not convenient having to walk all the way from that parking lot in a a, a downpour. So uh, not exactly the happiest place on earth. But uh, for a couple of teams anyway, it's also not been a very happy experience in Orlando. Um, there's been some, uh, the Washington Wizards and New Orleans Pelicans and Sacramento Kings all share something in common as of Monday, and that's that they've been eliminated from the playoff picture there. There's been some clarification regarding the departure as well with all three teams as well as two other Western Conference teams not involved in the play-in tournament for the eighth seed. They're all expected to play their last game on Thursday, then take a shower before a team bus jets them over to the airport, and their watch along the Orlando wall will finally have ended. Uh, we've all seen the meme or the quote or whatever it is I'm old to, uh, that the Wizards went to Orlando just to get some cardio work done. And while that's an obvious exaggeration, <laughs> uh, it's hard not to question the league's decision to invite 22 teams to the bubble. I, I, my feeling is, was there any ultimate purpose in these teams actually being invited here for, the, for their, you know, their perspective? I think, you know, New Orleans, clearly a disappointment but as far as washington and sacramento who had no real chance at getting past any other the teams in the in the west or east respectively was there any real reason for them to be there and participating in the in the Orlando bubble
1: well i think first of all i mean you know there's there's positive takeaways for most of those teams i think for washington that's the trickiest one because their guys didn't really show up and so now sure. you're just kind of putting a lot of their players who are you know, maybe fourth or fifth options. You know, you're asking them to do things that they're never going to be asked to do next year. So that winds up being, uh, you know, a changed environment. But I think that, you know, the argument to bring the 22 teams was, you know, to, to open up that Western Conference playoff chase and make it even more interesting. And I think when uh, Phoenix plays so well and comes out of the gate and makes this thing, you know, a real, real uh, competition, that kind of justifies them being there, right? And so if that meant you had to take Washington too to kind of keep the balance, then I guess so be it. You know, to me, of the three teams that have been eliminated, the one that really goes home so far as a disappointment, and it's got to be the Pelicans. You know, they just did not string together consistent basketball. They showed very poor effort against San Antonio on Sunday. And afterwards, you know, Zion says it's not acceptable. Alvin Gentry says he's got no explanation. he had tried to hype up that game to his team as a game seven and they just come out super flat. I mean, they were joking around, messing around in pregame game warmups. Drives me crazy when teams do that in a game that actually matters. And then it, it translated immediately to the court where San Antonio just gets out to a 20-point first-half lead. And, um, you know, so to me, like, I don't know if you want to call that as a step back for their franchise because at least they got some more evaluation time. And there were some nice moments for Zion along the way and for Brandon Ingram as well. But, you know, Lonzo Ball really struggled the entire time. They look like a collection of individuals rather than a team. And they also look like an organization, frankly, that was just sort of waiting on Zion, waiting around to see, is he going to take over? How are we going to fit around him? I mean, he's such a big personality, such a big star, and such a big-time impact player when he's healthy and when he's fit, um, that if you take him out like they did uh, you know, with the, the emergency health situation before the bubble uh, play began – it just kind of had left everybody just, you know, walking on eggshells waiting for him to come back. And I think that really set them back, um, you know, really for the next two weeks. And it's unfortunate, um, you know, he's going to have to come back in better shape. I mean, that's the bottom line. Um, And and hopefully he's in a situation where he doesn't have to go through all these extra quarantine periods the next time they're playing and all that. Because I think that slowed him down too.
0: It's just, it's been so weird watching them because I think you, you kind of look at that team and the collection of talent, of course, Uh, prior to the restart, even before the scrimmages and every team descended into Orlando, you kind of saw footage of them working out and, and Zion in great shape. And a lot of people were optimistic about him being able to have a really dominant performance in the bubble. And I think you have more questions about Zion than we did before the restart, not just about his health, but about his future. I mean, I know there's been a lot of talk and even some writing about whether or not he can sustain his level of play, whether or not we're already seeing enough injuries from him to have long-term legitimate concerns about his overall health. And while those might be somewhat over-exaggerated, I I think there are questions there, and we're already starting to see some buzz about Alvin Gentry being out of a job. And while that might be overstated too – this team just, it just, they don't look very well put together. I mean, there are a lot of questions about them. And I i, I mean, I just don't know what to say out of Pel—out of the Pelicans organizations. Like we, we look at them and they have some nice talented players in Ingram, et cetera. But then I, I just don't know what they look like in the future. And so much of that, as you said, hinges on Zion's performance in the future. It's kind of hard to see what that future might look like for a player like him.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, they look a lot better as a team when he's fit. I mean, his plus minus during the regular season was incredible. Um, He puts so much pressure on opposing defenses and, you know, with his offensive rebounding, but also just his ability to finish around the basket, his overall athleticism. And he's also was a decent defensive player before the shutdown. Now you bring him into the bubble. He looks heavy. He looks slow. He doesn't look totally confident in his body. The aerial threat stuff in terms of the lobs and and the second jumps really wasn't there um, nearly as much as it was back in March. And then defensively, he was having a really hard time moving side to side, staying in front of people. He was super uh, slow on all of his closeouts. I mean, so many three-pointers were hit over the top of him as he's late on rotations and and things of that nature. So, I mean, that's a big-time question. Uh, You know, these were unusual circumstances, you know, especially him leaving. I just think that, you know, I don't want to call that an excuse, but I do think it provides an important context. But I also think it puts him on notice, right? Now he gets to see, look, I mean, you're not going to be able to come in and just dominate the NBA game every single night unless you're in great shape like you were in March. And so I think the positive side for them is, you know, at least you know you saw some flashes of just amazing all-star level play from him back in March. That's what you want to sort of build on. I think the question with Gentry is a very fair one. Uh, the team was just not ready to go. You know, right. when they were kind of waiting on Zion and everything else, they did not have a backup plan. There was not like a pecking order of, okay, who's going to step up? How is this going to work? They were just sort of uh, caught flat-footed by that. And, you know, ultimately the coach's job is motivation, and that team did not look very motivated. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure he was able to make the proper adjustments along the way either. To me, it's just when a team winds up being the biggest embarrassment out of 22 teams – and the coach says, look, I've got no explanation. I mean, that is a big time warning flag. It's like, what do you mean you have no explanation? Like, right. <laughs> That's, that's kind of your job.
0: He's always come across as, you know, he's obviously well spoken and, and extremely experienced, and he knows what he's doing on the offensive end at least. But when it comes to the minutia, it always seems like he's a little over the head and I mean, over his head. And that's, you know, dating back to his first tenure here in Miami when he took over as head coach midway through a season years and years ago and his stints in, in Phoenix, et cetera. He's just, he's never really seen. Like, he's head coaching material. He keeps getting these uh, options and and these opportunities and then somehow falling short. You know, off the top of your head, is there a candidate that you think would be best for unlocking this version of the Pelicans team, whatever they might look like next season?
1: Well, there was that – I think there was a report maybe from Woj about possibly Ty Lue. Um, And, you know, there's the the connection with David Griffin in Cleveland. Um, He's coached some really challenging personalities, guys who are probably more challenging than Zion. You know, Zion ultimately is a really good kid. And he has a good heart, right? And so I think it's mostly a matter of motivation and professionalization with him, just getting him used to the NBA environment, what are the expectations, how do you play consistently for 82 games a year? I mean, that's a big ask. Guys have to learn how to do that. Uh, but uh, you know, obviously, Ty Lu has experience with the big egos and the confusing uh, personalities, you know, dating back to the Cleveland years. Uh, to me, he's the kind of the best coach available on the market right now. And so maybe, uh, you know, David Griffin, that tie winds up pulling them together. We'll see. It's also a major question for their ownership group. And I think a lot of owners are going through the same question. We've seen it with Chicago and Jim Boylan as well. If you don't have the ability to count on having arena revenue next season, do you do something like a coaching change, which is going to cost your organization millions of dollars, or do you decide to just put that off and punt it down the road, give your coach another chance so you can save a little bit of money when you're not making as much revenue? I think it's a, a very fair question, especially for a small market team like New Orleans. That's
0: a good point. Uh, I'm a little surprised you didn't bring up David Blatt as a candidate either, though, given his experience with big egos. Obviously, uh, maybe that didn't work out as well for Blatt as it did for Lou. Uh, but one thing that definitely works out for you, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the flaws amongst the contenders in both the East and West. Say it with me now. Sports are back. I've been waiting for this day since March, and now that's here, I've only got one thing on my mind. That's my bookie. It's a home run, a slam dunk, a triple overtime game-winning shot all wrapped into one. I love it. You love it. And that should be all you need to hear in order to start betting today. My bookie has up-to-the-minute odds on all your favorite teams. And with the start of Major League Baseball, there's never been a better time to start playing. With my bookie, it's easy easy. easy. You bet, you win, they pay. If you're feeling good about your team's chances, be sure to check out MyBookie's World Series Future Bets. Nothing shows you believe in your squad like betting on them before the season. Well, before the, even if we even know if the season's going to be uh, able to play out. But take a chance. Why stop with baseball? Smart bettors are always looking fo- towards the future. And in this case, that means basketball, hockey, possibly football. My bookie is already accepting bets in all your favorite NBA, NHL, and NFL games. There's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. If you join today, MyBookie will match your deposit 100%, plus it will toss you a free $10 MLB future wager. All you got to do is enter the promo code LOCKEDONNBA when signing up. Remember, at MyBookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win, they pay. Just a reminder, make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite app to listen to podcasts. Make sure you always get the latest episode by asking your smart device to play on NBA when you get in your car to get your team every day. We're nearing the end of the seeding games. It feels like it's been over before – it's almost over before, right after it started. Uh, but aside from the teams that have been eliminated for pretty obvious lack of talent or interest or a combination of both, I feel like there hasn't been any clear separation among teams. A lot of games have been really fun, really competitive. But it seems like everybody, for the most part, has a puncher's chance at a, making a deep playoff run. And I know you and I were talking about before we started recording. You kind of – you're working on a piece about – the flaws in some of the top contending teams and I think they've been pretty apparent I mean even the Milwaukee Bucks as good as they are can be limited the Lakers the Clippers all of them have major gaps that make them somewhat vulnerable during this incredibly weird situation in the Orlando bubble. What's your feeling on some of those teams and some of those flaws that you've seen from covering them up close.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how much these teams can flip switches, right? Because I, we knew that the top contenders were going to come in here, wrap up their seeds, and then probably coast for quite a while. And because most of the top contenders haven't had all their players, I mean, you look at Milwaukee, slow to get Bledsoe back. Um, you know, you look at L.A., they don't have uh, Bradley or Rondo. You look at the Clippers, or they didn't have Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, and, and some other pieces there for a while. You know, when you start to coast in that type of situation, when you're down a couple bodies, I can get really ugly really quick. You can stack up a lot of losses and and really, uh, you know, get yourself into a situation where now people are doubting what you can do. I think in terms of the flaws for these major teams, I think for Milwaukee, it's been about closing games late. You know, they, they really had a lot of, you know, double digit 20 plus point victories during the regular season. Down here in Orlando, they've been pushed a little bit harder. They're not running up Giannis's minutes in any way, so they've been in a lot of close games. And then that winds up putting them in a situation where they need to execute and get good shots and good baskets late. You know, you circle that game against Dallas, that goes to overtime. I think they gave up something like a 13-0 to or 16-0 to run in between the end of the fourth quarter and overtime. Giannis was almost the only Bucks player to score in the last eight minutes of that game. I think Chris Middleton had 1-3, otherwise Giannis did all their scoring. And those are legitimate red flags that are going to pop up here, um, in the playoffs. In part because they don't have home court to just run people off the court like they usually do during the regular season. So I'm not uh, super terrified for them because ultimately, like you know, if you keep playing Giannis, you extend his minutes. You're going to be in a situation where you're blowing a lot of teams out at least until you get to the second or third round in the in the Eastern Conference playoffs. But that's uh, one thing to watch for them, you know, in terms of. Uh, the Clippers, to me, it comes down to team chemistry and continuity. They've just had so many guys in and out. It's as simple as that. Are they going to be able to get their best lineups, have real reps together before the playoffs start? They could have a real test in the first round against a team like Dallas, um, you know, if that's who it winds up being. In in that situation, you don't want to be trying to figure it out against a team that can put up 130 points and, and has a top-five playmaker in Luka uh, on the court for them. I, I think that could be a recipe for some struggles there, And uh, I also don't think that we've seen Kawhi really sustain A-plus play. Uh, He could just be coasting. I imagine they're trying to take it slow. But uh, that's the flaw I see for the Clippers. In terms of the Lakers, it's just simply depth. You know, outside of their top two guys, a lot of question marks. Who's going to be the third guy to step up? Um, Can you trust any of them to be, like, legitimate safety valve-type scorers? And then, you know, the, the shooting depth is a real problem, too. You know, they've been very poor in terms of, um, you know three points makes they've been poor in terms of overall scoring um, you know if you get into a shootout in the first round whether it's against a team like Phoenix or Portland in that 1-8 matchup uh, you want to make sure that you you've got more than just two guys doing your scoring it's going to be uh, you know a little bit challenging to rely super duper heavily on just your two superstar level players so I, I don't want to call these major flaws but I do think maybe vulnerabilities is the right word and I think right. all of the contenders this year have bigger vulnerabilities than what we're typical uh, used to seeing for a team like the Golden State Warriors the last five years where they were going into the playoffs and just looking like, uh, you know, a complete super team ready to rock.
0: We, we have to take into consideration that this doesn't follow anything close to the typical, you know, progression of, of contending teams. There's always the buyout market where a contender usually adds a player that can find some way to contribute. That's been missing. Obviously, you can't just add another player. I mean – I think it's very strange to kind of look at this, these teams and, and you know say that they all have these kind of vulnerabilities, as you hinted at, and I wonder, at least from your per- per perspective, how much of that is due to the unusual circumstances where all these teams, whether you're the one seed or the eighth seed, you all miss three and a half months of, of playing and building any kind of continuity and rhythm, and now you're forced into this really compressed playoff type scenario and you know you face the same kind of issues that you almost would as far, always would as far as injury you know inconsistent play or a player that might be out for a number of reasons how much of that do you attribute to maybe no really strong contender like a Golden state over the past few years versus uh just the the scenario of being in the orlando bubble causing all this kind of dysfunction
1: yeah there's no real super team down here we knew that kind of coming in even before COVID, right that this was going to be a different type of playoffs a little bit more balanced playoffs I think the the roster losses that I mentioned earlier are impacting all these top teams, either directly in terms of who they have to play and kind of promote into larger minutes, but also just indirectly in terms of the time they're not able to spend together if they are getting guys back. You know, you just don't have the shared repetitions, and I think that impacts things. I also think there's a mental side of this, too, though. I mean, look, I, I did the same thing when I was planning my trip down here, just reminding yourself, look, you're going to be there for three months. Like, don't right. run yourself ragged in early August. That would be the dumbest thing you could possibly do. And so I do think these these contenders, you know, in terms of how they're managing minutes or just their general approach to these regular season games, I think they're trying to pace themselves and keep themselves fresh and healthy and ready to go for the playoffs. I think LeBron made a comment that health is wealth, basically. And uh, I think that kind of shows with the Lakers' approach, too.
0: You know, if there's one benefit of maybe no clear super team, it's that there are so many more fan bases, I think, that are engaged, at least judging from what I've seen on on NBA Twitter. It just seems like almost every fan base feels like they have a legitimate chance at a deep playoff run. There's encouraging signs from every team, whether it's the Phoenix fan base that hasn't, you know, had a a lot of playoff success in the past, well, what, 10, 20 years? I don't know. I can't even think back to last time they actually had a sustained playoff run, but – it's it's just it's interesting to see so many teams kind of watching the Orlando scenario and and feeling you know personally invested in it and i think that's been a really encouraging thing from seeing all the teams have some weaknesses or, or vulnerabilities, as you put it, and then also have some, some incredible strength as well. It's been really fun. I know you're having a blast covering these teams, I, as am I. It's been great. But make sure that you continue to follow Locked on NBA to get all the updates from what's happening in the Atlanta bubble. Make sure you follow Ben Golliver for his incredible updates from the Washington Post. And make sure to follow me on Twitter at DRommel13. I'm David Rommel signing off and thanking you, as always, for your support.